Good morning, folks. Great to see you this morning. It is great to see you. Do us a favor, put your hands out like this. Come on, do it, just do it. Do it. Do it. Put them together and rub them. It just makes me feel warmer with you doing that. Is that all right? Is that okay? I know it's cold. Hopefully, we're going to be getting some temporary heating put in soon, so that will be wonderful. So that will get us through the winter, God willing. Keep praying, folks. Keep praying, but it keeps us on our toes. It is great to see you. We are continuing in a series that we're doing in the book of 1 Peter, which is a letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to some churches in what we know as Turkey now, who were really trying to figure out what it looked like to live for Jesus in a world that was hostile towards them. What it really looked like to live as God's people amidst people who regarded Jesus as insignificant, that were offended by him, and therefore found the church and, uh, and the living for Jesus as something that was insignificant and for some offensive. And we've been looking at what that looks like over the last few weeks. The, the main theme of the letter is this theme of trials and suffering that God's people face and will face as his people in a place that's not their home. We are traveling through, we are travelers, we are what the Bible says, sojourners, and this is not our home. And as a result, because we live for Jesus, build our life on him, we will face trial and we will face suffering. So if you've got your Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, and we'll be reading through to verse... 19. Let's read it through. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved... What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let me pray. Father, I ask that the Spirit of God and glory will rest upon us as we hear you speak. And that your Spirit would stir our affections for your Son. And that you would give us boldness. For your glory's sake. Amen. Last week, Ben, who's just been up now, Ben and I met with the, some senior staff from a Christian organization called Open Doors. And Open Doors are an organization that raise awareness and support Christians all around the world who are being persecuted for their faith. Now, one of the gentlemen that was with us was a man who was, worked for them for about 30 years, and he was coming towards retirement. So you could imagine most of our time was all about sharing stories and him sharing all the stories and all the experiences that he'd experienced by whilst supporting and being with these people all around the world. He said that his heart for open doors and for the persecuted church was transformed in his first encounter with the persecuted church. He was in Vietnam. 
and he said he was put on the back of a, a motorbike, which he'd never ridden before. He was on the back of a motorbike, which for me is a very scary thing, being on the back of a motorbike with somebody else in control of the motorbike. I've just shared some of my own insecurities there. But he wasn't just on the back of a motorbike going on a road, he was riding through the jungle. So he spent hours on the back of a motorbike for the first time through the jungle in Vietnam. He then got off the bike and had to walk through the night. And after walking through the night, he came to what he described was like a curtain across two trees. And he pulled back the curtain. And as he pulled back the curtain, he saw about four or 500 men, women, and children who had all walked through the night through the jungle to gather. Because the day before, all their pastors and all their leaders had been arrested because they were Christians. And this guy arrived, a young man at the time, he arrived and they said to him, would you preach for us? Would you teach us the scriptures? So he preaches to them and teaches the scriptures. And then the 500 people who all gather around him, lay hands on him. And then they prayed for him. And then they prayed for England. And this is what they prayed. God, move in the hearts of your people in England so that they would not be ashamed of you. And that they have the boldness to stand for the gospel. Persecuted Christians, praying for the hearts of those of us who have freedom to follow him. Folks, there is something in the midst of persecution that sparks a spirit of unashamedness in the gospel of Jesus that freedom never does. And as you read through the Bible, and as you read church history, the reoccurring pattern that you see is that God's people will be persecuted. God's people will suffer for naming the name of Christ. And in this passage that we've just read, I want us to see five things that show us this. Five things that prepare us and five things that help and I believe will encourage us as we move closer to a persecution that I believe we have never faced before in our lifetimes. Number one is this. Trials are not abnormal. Verse 12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. In chapter 1, Peter has already told them that the reality of living in a broken world means you will face all kinds of trials. Trials that come upon you because the brokenness of the world and the effects of sin, whether that's through illness or through death or through pain in some way. But trials that come through being persecuted for naming the name of Christ. Now, as Peter speaks about the fiery trials here in verse 12, we don't know the extent of the suffering that they are experiencing. And at this point in history, they don't know of the extent of suffering that they will face at the hands of Nero. In the years to come. But in a few short verses, Peter is seeking to show and help and encourage them. Folks, even if we don't know the extent of what they were facing at that time, and if they didn't know the extent of what was to come, and if we don't know the extent of what is to come for us, Peter does share with them and shares with us the reason why, why this happens. The reason why Christians are persecuted is because, verse 15, verse 14, the name of Christ. 
They are insulted for the name of Christ. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. And verse 16, you suffer because you are a Christian, a follower of Christ. And Peter says, verse 12, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised as though something strange is happening to you, that something is, that is happening is out of the ordinary. He says, don't be surprised because as you look through the Bible, as you understand the history of God's people, this is a reoccurring pattern. Folks, you only have to take a glancery look at the Old Testament to see that God's people were persecuted. And the Lord Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, as one of the Beatitudes, one of the attitudes that we are to have as Christian people, he said this, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And it was also Jesus who said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. We are not to be surprised. See, folks, even in our culture, in our generation, people don't care for the historical Jesus. They don't really care for him. And they don't really care for the historical Jesus who was a good man. Yeah, he brings a bit of inspiration. We might use a quote, but make sure we don't say that it's Jesus. But the thing that offends people is the naming of Christ as Messiah and Savior and the thing that offends people are those who follow him. Given all your life to him. See, people are offended to hear and to be told that they require a Messiah. They require a savior. The following him is the only route to forgiveness, only route to wholeness, only route to true meaning, true purpose, and righteousness, being right before God. They are offended by those who follow him, and they are offended when you call them to do the same. See, they don't care about the historical Jesus. They don't care about the good man Jesus. They care the fact that you are saying he is their savior. He is the only way. He is the only truth, and he is the only way to life now and life eternal. That's what offends them. And the evidence of that hatred and persecution is seen in history and it's seen and felt today all over the world. In that passage in the book of Hebrews, the writer is given like this wonderful hall of fame of all those who had faith. It talks about Moses and David in Hebrews 11. He gives up and we go through lots of the biblical characters and we say, yeah, they were fallen people, but they had faith and God used them. And then there's a few verses right at the end that says this. There were others, and these people aren't named. There were others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Sawn in two, folks. We're not talking about like a magician's act in a box. Sawn in two. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves on the earth. Don't be surprised when fiery trials come upon you. See, suffering for Jesus may not be your experience now. It may not be our experience now. But folks, it is ramping up and it is coming. I'm not here as a prophet of doom. I'm here a prophet of truth. Only this past week, I spoke with a parent regarding something that was going on in the school that their kid and my kid 
kids are going to, regarding what it looked like for them to stand for Jesus amidst the ideology of uh, an understanding of sexuality and gender and fluidity in our context. See, to stand for the truth of the Bible, to stand for the truth of humanity, humanity will bring persecution, not only for those who, who are outside of, of the church of God, but also those who say that they are in the church of God. Folks, this persecution, this ostracization, this being pushed to the margins is increasing both in schools, in workplaces, and it will continue to increase and it will come. The day will come when it will be offensive to preach the name of Christ in our country. And when it comes, let us not be surprised as though it's abnormal because to name the name of Christ is painful. And to stand for and follow Jesus, folks, is painful. Number two. So if trials are not abnormal, how are we to react? I've got five things very quickly under this. What does he say? Verse 13, we are to rejoice. 13a, we are to rejoice. But rejoice in so far as you share in the sufferings of Christ. He's saying you should recognize the privilege of what it means to suffer for the sake of Christ. See, Peter's reflected even on his own life. In Acts 5, the apostles were arrested for preaching and they were put into prison. And the angel of the Lord came. He, 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 he helped them escape from prison and says, go and continue and preach the words of this life. The words that bring life. See, they weren't known as Christians then. They were called, known as people who live by the way. This way of Jesus. This way of the, the Savior Christ. And the angel of the Lord says, go. Go and preach. Now the guards came to the prison where they thought they'd left the apostles. It's all locked up, but they weren't there. And then someone says, hang on a minute. The people that we've arrested are in the temple preaching again. They get arrested again. They get brought in before the council. And there's a bit of a thing going on. And one of the lead high priests comes in and says, look, we need to be careful here. So what they do is they beat them and then let them go and say to them, never preach the name of Jesus again. And this is their response. They left the presence of the council Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Can you believe that? Folks, this is something that happened 2,000 years ago. But can I say this? There is something, this is something that is happening today. All around the world. And those people are praying that we, in our country, have the boldness and the unashamedness to rejoice when we are persecuted and suffer for the name of Christ. We are to rejoice. Verse 16, we are not to be ashamed. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. I wonder what it cost Peter to write that. It was the Apostle Peter, for those who don't know, who after Jesus was arrested, denied Jesus three times. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. I'm telling you. I don't know the man. And the cock crows, as Jesus said it would, and all the shame fell on Peter. I wonder what it cost him to write that to other Christians, knowing that he'd done the same. See, folks, the call to renounce shame, because that's what it is, focuses us on our actions, focuses on our mindset, in the midst of that persecution, in the midst of that pressure, am I standing for Christ or am I ashamed of him? 
And that shame is not only in whether I speak up or not, that shame can also come about by the way that I live my life could be denying that I name the name of Christ. Will I persevere in obedience in this moment? Will I persevere in the faith in this moment? Folks, to be ashamed of Jesus is a big deal. It's a big deal. It was the Lord Jesus Christ who said himself, after he'd said to the disciples that he was, for the first time, that he was going to die and rise again, and the apostle Peter said, look, that's never going to happen. And what does he say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. And then he says this to all the crowds that are around in Mark 8. And calling the crowds to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anybody would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever, and this is it, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the Holy angels. Folks, that is a big deal. Jesus says, whoever is ashamed of me, I also will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory of his Father with the holy angels. See, those who are ashamed of Jesus are guilty of apostasy, guilty of the abandonment of faith. They abandon their faith. They abandon their Savior. Peter says, when fiery trials come upon you, rejoice, but do not be ashamed of Jesus or the word of God, but you are to, verse 16b, glorify God in that name. That's the response. They have to glorify in the fact that they have been recognized as Christians, followers of Jesus. See, Christians was a name that was given to those who followed Jesus. It wasn't a name that the Christians decided they would call themselves. If anything, initially, it was used as a negative term. Oh, they're the Christians. They're the ones that follow Jesus. But it was distinct. It was clear. And Peter is saying, when that persecution comes, don't be ashamed, but glorify God that you bear the name of a Christ follower. Peter's saying, rejoice, glorify God, because people know you are a Christian. And people know the reason why you are suffering. Why? Because you are bearing his name. See, this is opposite of shame, isn't it? This is the opposite of shame. It's a thing of honor to bear in the name of Jesus. And we should glorify for the God because of the privilege. Next one, we are to commit ourselves to a faithful creator. When the trials come, don't be ashamed, but commit, glorify God and commit yourselves to a faithful creator. Verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator whilst doing good. We are to entrust our souls to him, who is the creator of all things, the sovereign God, who is in control of everything, who is faithful. Folks, we've seen in chapter one that all kinds of trials, God, God ordains and God allows and it's these trials that test the genuineness of a faith. It's these trials that refine us and purify us. And the result is this. It tells us in chapter 1 that we will praise God on the last day when he returns. 
And we have seen that as we walk through these trials, we are waiting a glorious future of an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. God will keep and guard our faith as we move towards the wonderful inheritance of a world where there is no pain, there is no suffering, where these trials will be no more. So we can entrust our souls to him. And our response to suffering is to entrust him whose will is to purify us and to bring us all the way through. We are to commit ourselves to a faithful creator and we are to continue in doing good. See, being ashamed of Jesus, not entrusting ourselves to him, not accepting the will of God, never leads to doing good, but always leads to paralysis. It always leads to paralysis. See, shame paralyzes us, doesn't it? You've been there. We've all been there. When the conversation at work begins or the conversation at school begins, and I'm like, am I going to stand for Jesus or not? It might be as little as, am I going to let them know I was in a church yesterday or not? It might be as big as of, of sharing a, a, a theological understanding of what it is to be human, what it is to understand marriage. Am I going to step in there or not? And the shame can paralyze us. You with me? But if we entrust our souls to the faithful creator who has promised to be with us and promises so much ahead of us and is guarding us to get there, we are able to do good. We are able to step in and stand for Christ. We are able to do good in the marketplace even as the marketplace persecutes us. We're able to give a hope, a defense for the hope that is within us in a gentle, loving, gracious way in the midst of the reality of the persecution that is all around us we can continue to do good that's what peter means when he says and shows us how we should react to persecution number three so what should we expect suffering to bring the first thing is present blessing verse 14 if you are insulted for the name of christ you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of god rests upon you now this, folks, is also tied, tied to what it means to share in the sufferings of Christ from verse 13. See, the spirit that Peter's talking about is the same spirit that Isaiah wrote about about 700 years before Jesus was born in Isaiah 11. He says this, they shall come forth, There shall come forth a fruit from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. King David, the line of David, Jesus, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, Jesus, and the Spirit, it's the same word, of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The spirit he was talking about is the same spirit that, he, that Peter is talking about that is resting upon us when we are insulted for the name of Christ. And it's also the same spirit that we read about at the baptism of Jesus when the Spirit of God comes down like a dove and rests upon Jesus and a voice from heaven that says this, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Folks, we are blessed because the Spirit of God, that same Spirit that was promised to be upon Jesus, that was on Jesus, the Spirit of God rests on us and is in us Therefore, through faith, we are united to Jesus. Okay, we're united to him. Christ is in us. 
Christ is in us, in and by his spirit. We are united to him. And as Christians, we are united in his death. Our old selves have died with him. And we are united in his resurrection. We have newness of life because he has conquered the grave. And we are united in that we bear his name. And we are united in that we share in his sufferings. See, the blessing is that we are suffering because we are united to him but also because of our union with him, which enables us to walk through these sufferings. I don't know about you, but when I hear of stories, stories like we heard at the beginning, of people walking all night through the jungle just to meet, to read the Bible and pray because they're pastors and they're leaders, and, and for some that would have been husbands and, 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 and sons and grandfathers, I don't know about you, when I hear those stories, I not only hear those stories of people all over the world, but people here, I think to myself, I don't think I could do that. Let's just be honest. I don't know if I could respond in that way. I don't know if I could respond with naming the name of Christ if somebody threatens to kill my children for doing so. I don't know if I could. And the truth is this, in my own strength, I couldn't. In your own strength, you couldn't. See, one of the present blessings that we receive in the midst of suffering for the name of Christ is that we are united to him, which means we are not suffering alone. He is with us. Let us not forget, folks, that we are suffering because the world hates him first. Jesus isn't sharing in our sufferings. We are sharing in his. The blessing is we are recognized as his. And therefore we suffer for his name. But because he is with us, because the spirit of glory in God rests upon us, we can and we will endure it. In Acts chapter 7, the story of Stephen, my favorite character for some reason, the story of Stephen, he stands and he preaches the wonder of the gospel in and through the history of Israel. And at the end, people are fuming with him. Fuming with him. So they take him and they begin to stone him. And it says right at the end, now when they had heard these things, they were enraged. So much so, they were grinding their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city. They stoned him and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Folks, only because of the resting glory of God and his spirit on any human being could any human being respond in that way. See the difference? What did the Lord, see, the, see the similarity? The Lord Jesus, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen, do not hold this sin against them. And folks, this particular passage is talking about persecution and suffering because of naming the name of Jesus. 
but also this is true regarding any suffering that we go through. Again, I don't know about you, when you see the pain and the difficulty that people go through, whether that's in their relationships, whether that's in the, the reality of illness or issues with children, you may find yourself going, I don't think I could get through that. I don't think I could deal with that. See, my experience of watching people go through that who love and name the name of Jesus is that you can visibly see the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ resting upon them. You can see it. You can see it from here when you're preaching about these things, knowing the suffering that people have gone through, and you see it. It is visible. And it enables us to get through. And the Spirit of God, because of the union with Christ, not only enables us to walk through the trials that come through naming the name of Christ, He also helps us through death. He helps us through death. That's why, as Carl said before, the one point from my sermon a few weeks ago is that remembered an old man, an old man, right at the end of his life, died with inappropriate joy. It was inappropriate because everybody else would not have been so joyful. What was that? What was that? It was the Spirit of God that rested upon him. Folks, the reality is this, God gets us through. And we have a present blessing because we are united to Jesus. Therefore, we are not lone fighters. Amen? Amen. But not only is there a present blessing, there is a future glory. Verse 13. Do you see that? But rejoice in so far as Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. The refinement of trials and sufferings and preparing us for the glorious inheritance that awaits Folks, the story of the New Testament, the story of the gospel is the glory that is received in and through suffering. Jesus says, do you want to know this suffering, this glory? Take up your cross and follow me. So in the midst of suffering, one of the future blessings and glories that we have is having that as our big picture, having that as our eternal perspective understanding what it means when Peter says you're only going to experience this for a little while because what comes is far greater than what you are experiencing. Folks, we should expect when suffering comes through naming the name of Christ, present blessing, he will get us through and also move towards a future glory because these things are only for a little while. But Peter also, verse 15, it's funny, he just throws it in, doesn't he? talks about the suffering that we should seek to avoid. See that? But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Folks, we need to know that this glory and blessing is conditioned upon true, upon. It's conditioned upon. This glory and blessing is conditioned upon us truly suffering as Christians. And we need to know that not all suffering qualifies you for God's blessing and joy because you can also suffer because of your own sin and your own evil and also by plainly being a pain in the backside. That's what he says. That's what he says. See, he says there's a distinction. Suffering for Christ's sake, rejoice in that. But don't suffer because of sin. Don't suffer because you're a murderer. Don't suffer because you're a thief. Don't suffer because you're an evildoer, which means a wrongdoer. But he also says, don't suffer for being a meddler. No one else in the New Testament is that used. Nowhere. But what it basically means is this. Don't 
get involved inappropriately in other people's affairs. What does that mean? Don't be a busybody. Don't be a pain in the backside. And you might be thinking, well, I'm being a pain in the backside for the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be act tact, without tact. Don't act without graces. Be gentle and loving in the midst of giving the defense of the hope that is in you. Don't be a pain in the backside. I have worked with people who name the name of Christ, and quite frankly, it has been embarrassing. And they've done more damage, and they've suffered more, not because they're naming Christ, because they are a busybody, and not being loving, and not being caring. He's saying, look, avoid that sort of suffering, because it does nothing for nobody. But also, can I say this, folks, and I think this is real for our generation, I think sometimes we think that we suffer, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago in our workplace and and in different contexts, but sometimes we have to have a good look at ourselves, and often it's because of our laziness. We suffer because we deserve to suffer. We're under discipline because we deserve to be under discipline. Let's not think that that is something that brings glory to Christ. It doesn't. Let's avoid the suffering that is because of our sin. And finally... Number five, if God's judgment starts with Christians, what becomes of those who aren't? That's what it says. Now let's begin with the issue of judgment on Christians, on the household of God, verse 17. Because we know from chapter two, we are the living stones built up to be a temple of which the Spirit of God is within us. Now let me clarify that Jesus has taken and paid the judgment of God for our sin on the cross, that's been done. Amen? Amen. That's been done. So this is not a continued judgment. God is continually judging us in that context. That has been paid for by Jesus on the cross. That is the grace of God. However, what Peter is talking about here is the judgment of refinement. Trials that test the genuineness of our faith. And what Peter is doing is making reference to Malachi 3 that you can read in the Old Testament where God says through the prophet, and this is a summary, for the Lord will come to his temple, his people, and refine and purify his people, and then the offerings of his people will be acceptable. See, the judgment that begins with God's people purifies those who truly belong to God. And that purification comes through suffering. And God's purpose is making believers morally fit for their inheritance. In other words, he spares us nothing to get out of us what he hates and to get us ready for his glory. He spares us nothing to get out of us what he hates and to get us ready for his glory. He is, every day, making us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And he spares at nothing to get us ready for his glory. Folks, that's really hard for us to comprehend, but we need to entrust our souls to the faithful creator. So if God begins with the household of faith, his people, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel, verse 17, and those who are ungodly sinners, verse 18? Those who don't bear the name of Christ, those who aren't Christians, those who don't have faith in who he is and what he's done, 
those who do not believe that he's taken the final judgment of God, what becomes of you if you do not have faith in Jesus? 2 Thessalonians 1 says this. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled and among all who have believed because of our testimony to you was believed. What becomes of those who reject Jesus? It's not a judgment that is refining, but a judgment that destroys. Eternal destruction, away from his presence, away from his grace, and away from his might. Folks, if you do not know Jesus, if you have not put your trust in him, under the authority of the word of God, I plead to you and ask you to come to him because the alternative destination is the fullness of his judgment upon you because of your sin. Not refinement, but eternal punishment. Jesus loves you so much that he died for you and took that for you. And I will call upon you now to repent of your sin and turn to him, him who promises you life and to know him is to know life eternal. Please, I ask you, come to him. And brothers and sisters, suffering will come. So let us not be ashamed. Let us rejoice. Let's rejoice in the fact that we bear his name. Let us suffer knowing Christ is with us let us live a life as a people in the midst of a hostile world in a way that presents Jesus as the treasure he is. Folks, all around the world there are people praying for us, praying that we would not be ashamed. Let us receive the wonderful gift of them interceding for us and come to the Lord Jesus who stepped into the brokenness and the darkness taken our guilt, taken our shame, and suffered and died for us. And that his body was broken so that we could be made whole. That he took the judgments of God so that we could be forgiven. That he became an enemy of God so that we could be called his children. And not only was his body broken, his blood was shed to wash even the foulest of people clean, of which I and you are chief. All of us are. And his blood avails. 
And in coming through repentance and faith to the broken body of Jesus and the spilled blood of Jesus and the ascended reigning Jesus, we can be forgiven, we can be made whole, and we can become part of the people of God with the Spirit of God and the Spirit of His glory resting on us and in us. Those of you who know Jesus, I hope and I pray that you walk out of this place with an emboldenedness to not be ashamed for Jesus. To live in a way that presents him as the treasure that he is. So as you eat the bread, thank him for what he's done. As you drink the juice in the little jars that are in front of you, thank him for what he's done. But again, if you are not a Christian, please don't do that. Please don't drink it. Please don't eat it. I don't want you to do something that it would be completely hypocritical to what you say. This is a remembrance act that we do as his people. But can I encourage you, confess your sin, turn to Jesus, ask for his forgiveness, and then eat and drink and become part of the household of God. Amen? I'm going to pray. And then after I've prayed, the guys will come. They'll start to play. and We'll just spend a moment or so together just eating and drinking, and then we'll be brought into song. Let's pray. Father, your word tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this is the, the blood of my new covenant, that you are saved by my grace, my death, my resurrection. Drink this in remembrance of me. So Father, now, as those who are part of your household, those who understand what it means to stand for you and to name you, those who understand what it means to walk through the brokenness and the trials of this world, we remember you. We praise you. We are thankful for you. And we ask that you would continue to be gracious upon us. For those of you, maybe you are sitting there who don't know Jesus, and don't know how to respond to him rightly in this way, I ask that you just follow what I say. God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry that I've rejected you. Thank you that you sent your son Jesus to take the punishment that I deserve. Please forgive me. Please send your spirit to live within me. And help me live for you. Thank you. And as I eat this bread now, I'm reminded that you died for me. Thank you as I drink this juice now. I'm reminded that your blood washes me clean. Help me to understand what it means to be born again. Help me to understand what it is to have this future glory and this inheritance. Help me understand what it is to be a Christian. Stand. Let's stand. As the guys come up, before we sing, let us together pray for brothers and sisters all around the world who tangibly understand what I've just spoken about in ways that we don't.
Let's do that. Father in heaven, we pray for our brothers and sisters all around the world that this very hour are hiding or digging up Bibles that they have to bury. That are meeting in secret this very day those who are going to suffer verbally and physically for naming the name of Christ. By your spirit we ask that they would rejoice that they would not be ashamed and that your spirit would be resting upon them and that they would know blessing in that presence and they'd be aware of that future glory. Help us as those who live in relative freedom. Help us never to take that for granted but help us to be bold to share the good news of Jesus and also prepare us by your spirit to be ready to face any persecution that comes our way with a graciousness that displays you, Jesus, as the treasure that you are. Be with our brothers and sisters all around the world. And as we sing, I ask that your spirit would work amongst us. We'd be reminded of your word and your glory. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.